0: So we've been talking about life together, what that means, what that what that entails, what what that asks of us, right? We like splitting off into groups. If you think about it, in your daily life, in society in general, um, we like being together with people that think like us, that like the same things that we like. Uh, I'm a big soccer fan, so um, that's always a big deal. I like Arsenal. Um, Somebody comes into my office and they're a Chelsea fan or a Man U fan. That's always kind of a fun, fun little thing. We pair off into social cliques sometimes based on what we do, you know. Um, I'm in education, so a lot of times when I talk to other educators, when people in education, I kind of have a camaraderie with them. It kind of, that's our group, you know. Uh, Social groups in high school, jocks preps, punks, cool kids, culture, religion, all these things divide us into groups. But there's things within those groups that unite us as well, right? Um, I was reading a sociologist and he was talking about, you know, stronger than the bond of the thing that we fight for, a lot of times is a thing that we fight against, a common enemy, right? and he said, there's no greater example of a common enemy in society than the bond that is formed between grandparents and grandchildren against the tyranny of the rules of parents. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Like, I thought it was funny at first, but I was like, no, that's, that's just true. That's what that is. <laughs> Hashtag truth right there. Uh, Right? They, grandparents and parents, or uh, grandkids get along because they don't have a common enemy, but they, they fight against something, right? You know, like, I don't give my kids soda. But sometimes my kids come home and say, Dad, do you know what Pepsi tastes like? Well, <laughs> yeah, but you shouldn't, so... <clears throat> sometimes our common enemy is what binds us together as Christians, right, we separate ourselves. We have common beliefs. We have, in essence, a common enemy, sin, Satan. We've created a large community. You know, we we often talk about the church, capital C. That's all of Christendom. Anyone who who calls themselves a Christian, Catholics, Protestants. Within the Protestant side of things we have different denominations sometimes even individual churches have their own culture we talk about that a lot here in Tulsa you know like life church kind of has its own culture it's not a bad thing it's just it's its own thing it's a community for the sake of this conversation we're talking about the first one church capital c so all of Christendom anyone who calls themselves a christian that's that's the group we're talking about today So we're often told this as Christians. You want to be in the world, right, but not of it, right? You're not going to find that wording in the Bible, like that particular wording. It's actually a conglomeration and kind of a paraphrase of some other stuff. Most importantly, uh, John 17, 14 through 15. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not... Of the world any more than I am of the world my prayer is not that you take them out of the world right leave them in the world but that you protect them from the evil one so we separate ourselves as Christians we want to we know we're here we live here right we can't really change that but we don't want to be bound by the things that the world loves and the things that the world wants we separate ourselves in a lot of ways Last week's video actually made light of some of those separations. They were talking about uh, Church of Christ and long skirts and no makeup. And some churches don't do music, and some churches only do hymns, and some churches only do modern worship, and some churches have to use hymnals, and some churches use red hymnals and gray hymnals. And Church of God joke. Uh <coughs> We we divide ourselves a lot and as Christians within the world, we try to do that as well. We try and separate ourselves by doing a lot of things that are kind of superficial, right? We dress a certain way. Um, We don't listen to certain kinds of music and we listen to other kinds of music. We don't watch certain kinds of movies, we don't go certain places, we don't do certain things and we feel like that does a good enough job sometimes of separating us from the world. Don't get me wrong, we're supposed to be separate. That's, that's not the argument I'm making. But how exactly are we supposed to separate ourselves? Is that good enough? Not going to certain places, not listening to certain kind of music, is that enough to separate us from the world? <clears throat> Let me turn your attention to John 13:34 through 35. I ran across this passage when preaching another sermon and literally, while I was in front of the congregation, I'd written it down, had written all my notes on it. And while I was in front of the congregation, I was reading this out loud and I thought, wow, that's got a different meaning than what I've assigned to it. It goes like this A new command I give you love one another. This is Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This comes on the heels of the, what we call the Last Supper. Jesus has already broken bread and poured the wine, and he's telling the disciples, I'm leaving, this is it, get ready. And this is one of the last things he tells them in that room. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Has anyone heard that, that 60s, him that 's spiritual they 'll know we are Christians by our love that 's where this comes from, so it got me to thinking, what does that mean? How is it that our love from one another, our love for one another separates us from the world first let 's talk about what he says when he says this is a new command because right it sounds like a lot of the other stuff we 've been told before, namely, it sounds like matthew twenty two thirty six through forty you may be familiar. I'll read the whole thing. Part of it's up there. Uh, Jesus is being questioned by some religious leaders. And one of them says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Right? You guys know this one? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. They sound very similar, right? Right? We're supposed to love other people it's Jesus telling us to love other people the first one love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and then love your neighbor as yourself but let's look, at, let's look at them in comparison let's go also back to John 13 34 through 35 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Look at the difference. Love as yourself, so love your neighbor, right, as you would love yourself, or love one another as I have loved you. There's a difference there between loving someone as yourself and loving someone as Christ loves you. That's a slight difference. But let me tell you, in practicality, it's severe. We're called to love in a very different way. That's why this is new. Not instead of the old way, but actually in addition to the old way. We are supposed to love our neighbor. Additionally, love one another as Christ. That minor difference makes all the difference. To, to give you another example, let's look at Matthew five twenty one through 22. Jesus is going along and talking about some older portions of the law and how they've changed since he's come about. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I think we're all okay with that, right? Like, it's in the Ten Commandments. We're all cool. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakha, which is an Aramaic term, it's, it's a bad word. <laughs> anyone who says Rakha is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. There's a long way between murdering someone and just not liking them a lot. But Jesus says, punishment's the same thing. Everyone was cool with this idea that if I get mad and I stab someone and they die, like, that's a sin. I think we're all on board with that. But when Jesus came along, he said, yeah, look, also though, if you get angry with them, it's basically the same thing. Not murdering was already on the books. Adding internal hatred, that's a step further. Who hasn't been angry at someone? The, uh, the Greek word here for anger is orgasmanos, orgasmanos. Like David says, don't be impressed, you too can look it up. <laughs> <coughs> uh, because I got to thinking about this, people are saying, you know, you harbor hatred in your heart, it's like murdering. And you can talk to people and they'll try and defend themselves and they'll be, oh, I don't hate anyone. But when you look at the word, the root word there is orgizo. Orgizo. I sound like, I sound like a language thing. Orgizo. It means to provoke or enrage, right? To make angry. Get this, it can also mean to simply become exasperated with. Are you kidding? So anyone who's like that, I don't hate people. I don't hate people. So this isn't, that doesn't pertain to me. If you've ever been annoyed with someone, it's the same thing. We like to dismiss that passage, but we can't. And those minor differences, the ones that Jesus brings up, make all the difference in the world. Little changes in language have huge consequences, Consequences, especially in the Bible. To go from murder to simple exasperation and make them equal is a huge leap. So to go from something like loving people, like we know we would want to be loved, to go from that to loving people in the same way that Jesus loves people is also a huge leap. As a matter of fact, it seems impossible, right? When you think about the love of Christ. How could we possibly do that? So when we're wrestling with this, the best place to start is by talking about how exactly Christ loves. And the first thing we know is that Christ loves us when we don't deserve it. The first and most important thing is Grace. Think, if you've ever been to vacation Bible school, you know what I'm about to say. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, church, this wasn't wasn't while we were working on it that Christ died for us. While we were actively working against the kingdom of God, Christ came down to earth and died for us. This wasn't us passively existing and Christ saying, well, he's working on it. He'll get there one day. I'll go ahead and do this for him. Before we even started trying, before we even looked like we deserve anything at all, Christ died for us. I can tell you, even after he died, none of us deserved that. Have you ever been given something that you didn't think you deserved? (laughs) Can you Think back to that feeling, what it feels like to get a gift or a kind word or a pat on the back and you think you didn't deserve it. There's a a sociologist named um, Tony Campolo. He's a writer, sometimes pastor. Um, He's got a flair for telling really great stories. Um, He tells a story about Uh, being at a convention in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's from the East Coast, and so the time change was really messing with him. And so sometimes at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, he'd just be out wandering the streets of Honolulu. And if you listen to my dad's advice, nothing good happens after midnight, right? (laughs) So So he went into... What he described as the very definition of a greasy spoon diner, he says, as a matter of fact, when he sat down, he didn't even touch the menu because he was afraid. <laughs> he said, a guy he described as a fat man named Harry, so he was a hairy fat man, <laughs> uh, a guy named Harry, came to him said he was the owner of the diner. He said, what can I get you? And he says, coffee and a donut." Said Harry turned around, picked up the donut with his hands, <laughs> set it down on a napkin, and uh, he began to talk with Harry a little bit as people do. At three thirty in the morning, a group of women came in—a group of <clears throat> scantily clad, boisterous women came in. Um, they were prostitutes. Um, they came in and they sat at the tables and at the benches around where he was sitting. And one of them came up and sat right next to him at the, at the counter. And her name was Agnes. And Agnes began to talk to one of the other women. And she said, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. And she said, the woman back to her said, so what? What, do you want a birthday party? And Agnes said, no, that she just thought people would want to know it wasn't a big deal. It's not like she'd ever had a birthday party before. So the women drank their coffee, some of them ate, and they left. And there sat Tony with Harry in the diner. Tony said, hey, do these women come in here often? And Harry said, yep, every morning, 3.30. He said, what about this lady next to me? He says, oh, Agnes? Yeah, Agnes comes in every morning. He said, what are you... uh, What do you say tomorrow? We throw a birthday party." He said, yeah, let's do it. He said, I got the cake and I got the food. Tony said, that's fine, I'll get decorations. And by the time the next morning had rolled around, word had gotten out on the street that they were throwing a birthday party for Agnes. And Agnes walked in at 3.30 that morning, and there was a big sign that Tony had made. It said, Happy Birthday, Agnes, on it. There were streamers and balloons and a cake. And Agnes was surprised. She'd never had a birthday party before. Harry said, go ahead and blow your candles out. So she hesitated for a little bit and she blew the candles out. And he handed her a big knife from the back and he goes, go ahead and cut the cake. We're all waiting for cake, it's really good, I made it. She hesitated. She says, can I keep it for a while? He says, yeah, why? She goes, I live just down the street with my mom, and I've never had a birthday cake before. Can I go show her? You see, Agnes had lived her entire life feeling like she didn't deserve anything because the interactions she had with people up to that point in her life told her she wasn't worthy of it. She was only useful to people for a few things. And after they got what they needed, they didn't love her. They didn't care about her. She was surprised by an act of grace. See, grace is love, and it's a gift when we least feel like we deserve it. A lot of times it's a gift when we actually least deserve it. She was surprised by an act of grace. We all get surprised by things sometimes when especially we don't feel like we deserve those things. God's grace is one of those. So to be able to take God's grace and show that to someone else, it's an amazing thing when we can give someone something that they don't feel like they deserve, that's loving like Christ loves them. So let's ask ourselves, am I showing people grace in my community? In the church, capital C, in this church, in our small groups, am I loving people when they least deserve it. When someone does something that annoys me, that upsets me or, God forbid, makes me hate them, do I still love them? So we have to show grace in situations where people either feel like they don't deserve it or in our eyes actually don't deserve love. When we're actively working against God, He loves us anyway. When we move against the kingdom of God and live sinful lives, God still loves us. So to love others like that, we have to love them even when we don't think they deserve it. The other thing about God's love is this, we have to love each other even when it means sacrificing ourselves. Christ loves us sacrificially. <clears throat> There's a word breakdown in Matthew 22, the phrase about loving your neighbors as yourself. Um, the word used for love is agapao, the root word agape. Most theologians believe that that word means love from God. When we love others as we would love ourselves, that love comes from God. We act as a conduit, essentially. That love comes from God, and I give it to my neighbor. Still exhausting, though, right? But our love for our community isn't like that, because Christ's love is sacrificial. It's a love that takes more than simple participation. It takes effort, and it takes sacrifice. See, this is what sets our community of believers apart. Our church, our small groups, this is what makes us different. It's no secret that other people give, right? Like, there are humanist societies that raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for some of the same, same causes that the Christian church raises money for. People do great things all the time. But one thing you constantly hear about people who give their time, and their money, and their effort is always, you've got to take time for yourself, right? Lest you get burnt out. You always hear that. You volunteer, remember to take time for yourself. You got to do that. Which is fine, and I'm on board with that. The difference though between that type of love and the love that we show inside of a community is that even when you're exhausted, Christ still expects us to show that love within this community. Let me say it again when after we have given to our neighbors like we would have loved ourselves, we have to turn around to our church community and give some more, sometimes till it hurts what it means to love sacrificially. Christians give love to one another when it's inconvenient, when it's not beneficial to themselves, and when they're giving of themselves sacrificially. The best illustration I could find for this is the difference between tithing and offering. So if you've ever been in a church more than a year, you've heard the, uh, the giving speech. So, This isn't one of those, it's just an example. Listen, tithes are commanded, right? Old Testament law um, told the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, you give of your first fruits, you give 10%. Right? It was a law, but you had to do that. On top of that, anything you gave was considered an offering. Now, many theologians believe that with Christ's death, the Old Testament law was fulfilled. So this concept of 10%, it's a good guideline, but it's, it's not the law anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. So the law says to tithe. But since Christ, what we give to the church is an offering. See, Christ fulfilled our debt. So anything we give to the church now is an offering. So, Whether we give in accordance with the Old Testament tithing concept or we give in the concept of the New Testament era without mandate, the concept of an offering is given above the requirement, right? It's a sacrifice. So to put it in perspective with what we've been talking about, when we love our neighbors, that's the requirement. That's the least of what we do. That's our fulfillment of God's command. But when we love our brothers and sisters in community, it's a love above and beyond that. We love like Christ because it's a sacrifice. See, the greatest example of sacrificial love will always be Christ's death on the cross. I can't come up with a better illustration. I actually looked yesterday for a little bit, but you can't find anything better than that. The concept of sacrifice are are stories of martyrs and people who died for the faith, but nothing, nothing compares to the sacrifice of Christ. When he was blameless and without sin, he gave everything he had, his very life, to us, and we didn't deserve any of it at all. So how do we love each other like that? It sounds ridiculous. It sounds impossible. Have you ever heard the phrase, give till it hurts? Have you ever known someone it was painful to be around? (laughs) Don't raise your hands, and for the love of God, don't point at people. I always get nervous when I do that because I'm just like... And I don't want to look at any one person, because, you know, I love you all. But people are a drain to be around sometimes. Here's the thing, people are sometimes needy. But let me remind you, sometimes people are in need. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes people are needy, but sometimes they're actually in need. See, it's our approximation that kind of takes that away. Our, our assumption about their situation that takes that away from them. In our approximation, sometimes people take more than their share, right? We talk about people, they take advantage of the system, where they took advantage of our kindness, they took advantage of my patience. <laughs> See, it's hard hard to gauge that for ourselves sometimes because we're so close to the situation. But within our community, what we have to try and do is love people past our expectations for them. We have to love people past what we consider to be enough. If Jesus loved us... Now, church, (laughs) listen... If Jesus loved us as much as we deserved, none of us would go to heaven. Think about that. If Jesus loved us as much as we deserved, none of us would go to heaven. So when Jesus says to love our church and to love our community like he does, he means we have to love one another beyond what we feel they deserve and past what we feel like is enough. We have to love sacrificially. We have to love even if it means losing a little something ourselves. The, the great order pastor, theologian Charles Spurgeon said this, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves but we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us and that is far more than we have love ourselves. Think of that. See, this whole time, we've been talking about this concept of loving people like Christ from our personal perspective, right? That's what I've been telling you. You have to love people. You have to love people sacrificially. You have to love people when you don't feel like they deserve it. seems like so much work. Newsflash, it is. It's a lot of work. But think about this. And this is what's important, and this is what I want you to take away. When we least deserve it, and even when it hurts them, our community is here to love us. Have you ever felt unlovable? I have. I know I have. I struggle with that. Have you ever been shown love when you felt like you didn't deserve love? That's how we're supposed to love in this community, in these walls, in this church. Susan, even if you don't feel like it sometimes, I want you to know I love you. Dan, even if I've had a really hard day and I'm tired and I feel like I'm at the end, I want you to know that I still love you. I want you guys to know that I love you all. I'd stand up here and I'd say all your names, we don't have that much time. Sometimes I'm tired. I have like 30 kids or something like that. <laughs> I just lose track after a while. I get tired, right? I get tired. But Christ says, I know you're tired. I was tired, but I still loved you. And sometimes I feel like I'm being taken advantage of feel like people are taking more than their share, and Christ says, you didn't deserve any of this, and I still loved you. Church, that's the beautiful thing about this command. It asks us to do something difficult and almost impossible, but it asks others to do the same for us. It's self-care. I love you endlessly, intentionally, and with grace. And when I don't feel like I can anymore, I know you're there to love me back. See, we lift each other up in this continual cycle of love and renewal. And it's so foreign to our nature and to what society tells us is normal. And that's what separates us. That's what makes us different. When I love you, my community, as sacrificially and with as much grace as I can muster, even when you don't feel like you deserve it, even if I feel like you don't deserve it, I'm loving you like Christ loved me. And when I'm tired and I don't feel like I deserve love, or in actuality, sometimes I don't deserve it, my community is there to love me. I pick you up, you pick me up. We love the world with a love that is equal to what we're capable of doing ourselves, but we love each other with a supernatural and amazing grace of God. You want to know how to set yourselves apart from the world? They'll know we are Christians by our love.